Um, John chapter 4, if you got to say amen. amen. So it's going to be a little bit of reading. Hope that's okay. I'm going to read probably 11 verses, but as I get to the end, it'll make sense. You, you see why I have to read all of it. Uh, John chapter 4, verse number 1 says, When Jesus, I'm sorry, when therefore the Lord knew, Jesus Christ knew how the Pharisees heard that he was baptizing more disciples than John. He left Judea. Jesus left. And he departed again into Galilee. Verse 4. And he must needs go through Samaria. It was necessary. He had to go through Samaria. Then he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, be, being wearied with his journey, sat on the well. And it was about the sixth hour. Then cometh, um, I'm sorry, there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me something to drink. For his disciples had went away to the city to buy meat. Then the woman of Samaria said this, How is it that you, being a Jewish man, ask me for a drink? I'm a woman of Samaria. For the Jews don't <coughs> deal with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's asking you for water, and who's saying to you, give me the drink? You would have asked of him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. For which then hast thou this living water that you're talking about? Are you greater than our father Jacob, which gave us this well that we're drawing from? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him will never thirst again. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And the word of the Lord is blessed. So, there's a couple of things in this text I kind of want to break down and introduce and help you understand before we get to the meat of the message. Um, first thing you have to realize, the Bible says that Jesus was preaching. In fact, in John chapter 3, the previous chapter, it's the famous chapter that Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So at this point in Jesus' ministry, he was becoming very famous. Um, a lot of people were coming to him because they wanted to hear him teach. They wanted to hear him preach because he was preaching messages that were very radical and that were changing the, the landscape of Jerusalem of that day. And so, so many people were coming to him that they wanted to be baptized. A lot of the religious leaders of that day were upset and mad at Jesus because he was baptizing them. He was baptizing people and he wasn't really going according to the Jewish law. So the Bible says that as these Pharisees and Sadducees got ready to come after him, he departed. He had to leave. He fled. He left. In order to get where he was going, he had to go to a place called Samaria. He did not want to go, the Bible literally says this, he did not want to have to go through Samaria. But the Bible says he must needs go through Samaria. Doesn't God make you do some things that you really don't want to do sometimes? Yes. Jesus was having this conversation with himself like, man, Lord, if there's any other route that I could take to get to my destination, like make it plain, I just really, really don't want to go through Samaria. I really don't want to go that way. God was like, 
Oh well, you gotta go the route that I tell you to go to get to where you're trying to get to. The Bible says Jesus, they, they, him and his disciples, man, this is good. He travels through Samaria. The Bible says that he was weary from his journey. He was hungry. So he sent all 11 of his disciples. Not one. See, he could have just sent Judas. Because Judas handled the, the bag. He handled the money. He was the accountant for the group. could have just said, yo, Judas, take John and go get me some need. The other nine, is that, that's nine, right? Eleven, take over here. Y'all stay with me. But he sent all of them to go and purchase meat. Now, Jesus was by himself, which typically didn't happen. Jesus normally had at least two or three hitters with him at all times. But he sent everybody to go by me. And the Bible says, in, in specifics, the Bible says it was about the sixth hour. The reason it being the sixth hour was so important is because the number six is the number of man. Proof is in Genesis chapter one, the Bible says the first day God made this, God made that. And the sixth day, God made man on the sixth day. So whenever you see the number six in the Bible, it represents the creation or, or it represents man, okay? Tell somebody number six represents man. So it was the sixth hour of Jesus' journey. That's important, Joe, because God's... <laughs> that's important because God wants to differentiate right now who you're seeing in Jesus. Right now, you're not seeing the God side. You're about to see the fleshly man side of who Jesus was. Because he was all God, and he was all man. But how many of you know, no matter how anointed you are, no matter how gifted you are, there are still times you're going to be in your flesh. Yeah. And that man side, or that who you are, is bound to come out. All of the disciples were gone. Jesus the Bible says he gets tired, Marie, and he sits on a well because he's weak, he's hungry, and he's thirsty. And it was the sixth hour. So remember, he didn't want to go through Samaria. He was already a little frustrated and irritated. He had to go through Samaria. Now my question, Adrian, is why didn't Jesus want to go through Samaria? Because the moment he gets to Samaria and he sits on the well, this woman comes and approaches him. Jesus knew, like, man, I really don't feel like working today. <laughs> Even Jesus said, man, can I have a day off? You know, I've been raising folks from the dead. I've been, I've been opening blinded eyes. I've been causing revolutions. I'm tired. And can I let you know something? It's okay to admit when you're tired. Look at somebody and say, are you tired? Yeah. And then because when we run and we run so much, and, and we think that we have to wear these capes. But Jesus is giving us a clear lesson. Whew. He sits on the well, and he says, man, I'm tired. You know something he does? Because he was tired, he sent his disciples away. Because at your weakest and most vulnerable point, I'm going to help you. Ooh, can I help you? When you're really tired, the best thing for you to do is not to be around people who you're connected to. Because when you're tired, Sometimes you mistreat people that love you the most. Mm -hmm. Somebody say amen. amen. It's not that I don't love you. It's you just came at the wrong time. <laughs> I'm really, really, look at somebody and say I'm tired. I'm glad my wife knows me enough to know what I'm talking about. She likes to talk. 
Lord, Lord, she would be first thing in the morning. Hey, she's got a whole conversation about a dream she had. <laughs> you know, and some days I'm just not feeling it. So she can look at me and tell, he's tired, right? So, and what, what she's, and I'm, she's graced to be my wife because God, I guess he speaks to her. And he, she, and she'll let me go. She'll say, you know what, just go. Get out the house. Or she'll take the kids and leave, right? Because I'm tired. And if, if, if y'all keep hollering, Daddy going to say some words that may not be the most biblical. Because when you're tired, you don't always react the best. Sometimes when you're tired, the best thing you can do is get away from people. Sometimes you got to get by yourself when you're tired. And sometimes you have to be few. But that doesn't always mean just because people will leave you alone when you're tired, that God's going to leave you alone. Ooh. It's when you're, you're at your weakest moment and when you're the most tired. That's when God will bother you the most. Watch this. He sent the disciples away because Jesus had some work to do. No matter how tired you are of people, God will say, I'm still here. And there's still some work I got to do with you. So no matter how tired you are, you cannot get rid of God. Look at somebody say, he ain't going nowhere. Yeah. Look at how tired you are. You can be broke, busted, and disgusted. You can be sick of your mama, sick of your daddy, sick of your husband, your spouse, your kids, your pets. God's like, I ain't going nowhere. I'm still here. And I don't care if you're tired of me. I'm still not moving. Jesus, the Bible says, being weary from his journey, sat on the well. And the Samaritan woman comes to him. She's got some buckets because she's drawing water from the well. Now, something I need you to understand historically, Samaritan, that's what she was, and Jesus was a Jewish man. Jews and Samaritans did not deal with each other. It's almost like if we were to rewind before civil rights, right? 1940s, 50s, when blacks and whites did not uh, come together. The same cultural relevance there in the text. Jews and Samaritans did not deal with each other. So the Samaritan woman in Samaria, her hometown, comes to this well that she normally came to. In fact, it was Jacob's well. Jacob, um, a character in the Bible in the Old Testament, he made, he built that well. So it was Jacob's well, and the Samaritans always went there to draw water. Now, never in this woman's life has she seen a Jewish man at this well. It's never happened before. But on this day, on this day, she comes to the well, and Jesus is sitting there, a Jewish man, and he begins to have a conversation with her. And now it all makes sense why he needed to go through Samaria. It may not make sense to you now, but there's a reason why you're going through what you're going through. There's a reason why Jesus sent you on this course to go through Samaria. Have you ever had to deal with the trial, something you really didn't want to deal with? Or deal with somebody you really didn't want to have to deal with? But there was something that God was telling you to do that you really didn't want to do. Like, Lord, why? My life would be so much easier if I just don't do this one thing you're telling me to do. Have you ever been there? But Jesus will force you to go through a place called Samaria because there is somebody there waiting on what's inside of you. Tell somebody this real quick. You gotta go through Samaria. This widow woman, no, she wasn't a widow, I'm sorry. Mixing up stories. This woman comes to Jesus. She says, excuse me, sir. I need to get to the well. You're blocking the well, sir. And Jesus, in this bold fashion, Victor says, give me something to drink. 
the weight of that statement and that request. She says, well, to be honest, I don't really have much to draw on to give you something to drink and carry this water back for me and my, my, my household. Doesn't matter. Give me something to drink. Jesus knows how to push your buttons and stretch you beyond what you think is your limitation. For some of us, you're in a season of stretching. Jesus, or people, seems like pulling everything from you. And you keep saying to yourself, I don't have anything left to give. And Jesus keeps saying, give me more. Have you, have, you, have you been there when you felt depleted, but you were still being requested? Dead tired. Kids saying, Daddy, I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I have nothing to give you. I'm weak in myself. But Jesus will always pull out of you what he knows is there in reserve. You think you've reached your limit, but the, you still have more left in the tank. Tell somebody I still got more left in the tank. He says, give me drink. She says to him, I don't have anything to draw in. I really can't supply your needs because I'm in need right now. And Jesus says, remove the excuses. Give me something to drink. And then she says, who do you think you are? Come into my town. Demanding something of me. And Jesus says something to her, Marie, that's so profound. If you knew the gift of God and who I was, you would be asking me for something to drink. And I will give you living water. Jesus begins to break down this woman's entire situation. See, this, the Bible doesn't give her a very good or adequate backstory. All we know about this woman is by the context of what Jesus says to her. They continue the conversation. And, and come to find out, she's had, she's had five husbands. Been in a relationship, in a relationship. She was thirsty. The irony is that she was at this well, physically thirsty. But Jesus recognized that spiritually she was mal malnourished. And she was thirsty. How did Jesus figure out that she was thirsty? She was jumping from relationship to relationship. See, most times people act out because there's a void on the inside of them they're trying to fill. Have you ever dealt with somebody that was so egregious towards you? That was so brash towards you? That was just downright mean. And you thought, maybe it's me. Maybe it's my approach. Maybe I'm not being the best communicator. Maybe I should try a different route on how I communicate with this person. But the truth is, people who are thirsty do desperate things. People who are thirsty act out sometimes. They may have nothing to do with you. They are just thirsty. This woman was going from relationship to relationship trying to fill a void that was there because she was in need of relationship. You've got to be careful how you act when you're thirsty. You've got to be careful who you're around when you're thirsty. Because when you're thirsty, you will drink anything except what you need. Have you ever been so thirsty that juice looks good to you? Juice is full of sugar, and it's just going to make you thirstier. When people are really thirsty, we rarely go and grab water. When you're thirsty, that's what you really need. I'm a, I'm a hood kid, so whenever I'm thirsty, I want something sweet. I want something with sugar, I want some Kool-Aid, 
I'm gonna find, and we got, we got cases of water around the house, Joanne, but I don't want that, I want juice, because I'm thirsty, and it's just making me thirstier. And you don't realize your, your behavior that you're exhibiting is not fulfilling your thirst. It's just making you thirstier. Tell somebody you're thirsty. <laughs> we seek relationships or people to do for us what only God can. We in, even in our spouses, we seek a spouse to do for us what only God should be able to do. Mm -hmm. We seek our wives and our husbands to do for us what God is created to do. Listen, the thirst that you have, man cannot quench it. I got proof. This woman, she was thirsty. She went to one relationship. She went to Ray Ray. Ray Ray couldn't give it to me. She was still thirsty. She said, okay, I'm done with Ray Ray. Ray Ray said, listen, girl, you crazy. You got daddy issues, you just thirsty, you just thirsty. I can't, I can't. She said, okay, cool. She messed around with Charles. Charles couldn't fulfill those needs either. Now she on the phone, girl, Ray was Charles the same way as Ray Ray. Now she's going to somebody else <laughs> looking to fulfill that quench. You're going to find yourself in a rat race seeking people to give you what only God can give you. You are thirsty. And instead of going to the source, we go to manufactured sources that we think can fill us. But here's the thing. Victor, they may be able to fill us temporarily, though. That makes you feel good for a minute. You'll be on cloud now for a minute, but the truth is that person does not have the capacity to sustain you long-lasting or permanently because guess what's going to happen? You're going to get thirsty. Now, what happens when you go to that person and they cannot fulfill your thirst? Now, you're mad at them. Watch this, because they can't do something they were never designed to do in the first place. I can't get mad at my wife because I'm sad and depressed and she can't make me happy and joyful. That's not her job. <laughs> I can't get mad at Marie because when I'm down and out and I need a refilling, she can't give it to me. You know why we cannot lean and depend on people to fill us up? Because they're empty themselves. Yeah. How, Joe, can an empty vessel pour into another empty vessel? How can I go to somebody who's thirsty themselves and say, yo, I'm thirsty. I need you to fill me up. I'm thirsty too. We need to learn that the best way to quench our thirst is to tap in and lean all the way into God. Look at somebody and say, God should be your source. Look at two more people and just say, say God needs to be your source. God needs to be your source. It's a temporary feeling. Temporary feeling. But I believe that God wants to get rid of temporary thirst feelings. I think God wants to replace the temporary with the permanent and the eternal. And here's the thing, Joe. God's not far away. The Bible says that he, as a gentleman, stands at the door and knocks. In the moment of our weakness, God is there waiting to fill us up. But we do not accept the invitation. Oh, Lord, I love it. I love this because I know where I'm going to study this word. We don't accept the offer that Christ gives us. 
because man has hurt us. And we assume that God, that Jesus would treat us the same way Ray Ray and him do. I've got proof. The Samaritan woman was hesitant when she was speaking to Jesus. Now this is Jesus, the son of God. He was man, but he was also the son of God. Lazarus who was dead, Jesus raised him up from the dead. When I mean, the Bible says this little woman, her son died, and there was a funeral procession, Jesus came in, stopped the funeral, and made the boy rise from the dead. People who were blind, who literally could not see, people who were not able to walk and lame, Jesus raised them up, Jesus opened up their eyes. He did all of these things, and he says to this woman, I can make you never thirst again. She's like, I don't know about that. Because that same promise, you're telling me somebody else said that. They told me the same, they gave me the same line. And we're missing our feeling because we just can't trust the source. You can't trust the source because now that you're presented with who can really fill you up, your mind keeps going back to those past relationships and how they left you empty, how they left you hurt, how they left you scarred, and how they left you abused. Many of us cannot embrace Jesus because we're comparing him to what somebody else did to us. The Lord says, I'm here. Woo! The Lord is trying to remind you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But we keep comparing Jesus to Jonathan. We keep comparing Jesus Christ to Jessica. And he's, I'm not them. They hurt you. They made you feel bad. They demean you. But I will not do that. And we can't accept it. The Samaritan woman was thirsty, man. Jesus is te literally telling her, I can give you something that can quench your, so you won't have to go from relationship to relationship looking for man to fill you. I can give you what you need. But she did not trust him because she was so thirsty. When you're thirsty, you feel like you can put things in your own hands and do it yourself. She says, listen, listen, Jesus, is that your name? I hear what you're saying. But you don't know my story. <laughs> you don't know what I've been through. You don't know that what you're telling me, I, I let Charles in. I gave him my whole heart. And he hurt me. I gave, I gave Jessica my, my, my heart, my heart. I invested everything in that relationship. Up and gone, she left me. She hurt me to my very core. Jesus, I, I hear what you're saying, Lord, but I don't know. Last time I trusted somebody, they hurt me. Jesus says, how long will you compare me to somebody who's temporary? I am God. Nothing like me. What I want to do for you, you cannot compare to what human beings have done. Can I tell you something right now that, that I think will free you? If I can tell you that somebody say yes. yes. Let it go. Because your inability to let go of who hurts you is making you miss out on what God wants to bring you into. Yeah. A relationship with Christ, a real one, would change the dynamics of it. It would be a paradigm shift. Your entire thinking will change. But we cannot embrace the relationship that Christ wants to bring us into with him. Because we keep thinking about what happened then. Let it go. Prophesy to somebody and say, let it go. Let it go. Give to somebody else and say, you gotta let it go. Yeah. You still holding on to that thing. 
You're in a whole new relationship and still holding on to the last one. You've got to be free from who hurt you in the past so that you can not experience your present but live it. Because many of us are in our present situations comparing it to the last one. Yeah. You know, she didn't do it like that. <laughs> Amen. Y'all fresh married too. Amen. <laughs> No, she made eggs. She made some different things. You went from like this clockwise. You got to be counterclockwise, you know. The moment a, a, a argument arises, instead of dealing with it and communicating about it, you think that it's going to end up the way the old arguments used to be in the other relationship. It's going to be physical. This is not that. Look at somebody and say, this is not that. But we allow ourselves to oh, up. Can I? We'll prophesy after this day. We allow ourselves to be in toxic relationships, mm-hmm. but we cannot let them go because we've gotten accustomed to being treated a certain way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't date a whole lot before I got married, but I was always, you know, used to a certain kind of woman. So when I got married, the grace that my wife exhibited and that she exhibits now strange you know I was used to seeing my mother and my stepdad just argue right just, I was used to seeing bad communication and so going into it I'm like okay I gotta dodge you know what I'm saying it wasn't like that though it was different she was just real she braced and she put it down and I was I didn't know how to respond to that so in my head man I was like I gotta make like her agitated like I just it, it just it cl- it's something because of my experiences. I, I ha- it has to be a certain way. And it wasn't that way. Toxic relationships or, or toxic experiences from my past were going to pollute what God was bringing and ushering me into. That's why God sometimes has to end the relationships. Oh, Lord Jesus. Can I preach to you today? The Bible says this Samaritan, the Samaritan woman, she had five different relationships, five different committed relationships. She had five different husbands. The Bible says, as she was talking to Jesus, he begins to prophesy to her and tells her, like, I know you've had these different relationships. And the man you with now in your house, Jimmy, he ain't your husband either. And then she says, Joe, I perceive that you are a prophet. He read her entire story. She did not understand that those relationships that she was going through, one after the other, it wasn't always the other person. It wasn't always even her. Sometimes God had to end the thing to bring you into your better thing. Oh, Lord Jesus, can I preach? Somebody say amen. amen. Is this helping you? Yeah. This is helping me. Some, we cry over spilled milk. Or a better example, um, the Bible said we talked about, um, we talked about Saul and Samuel, remember? Um, king Saul, the first king of Israel. We preached about them extensively. Samuel, who was a prophet that, that, that had a relationship with Saul and raised him up. When God rejected Saul from being king, Samuel was, was, was burdened. He cried. He was hurt. He was depressed. Then the Lord said, I want to give a new king to Israel. Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? Seeing that I have ended that. Can I ask you something? How long will you mourn over that past relationship? Oh, and some of us are still mourning even though it seems like we've moved on. Just because you hopped into something new doesn't mean you're over what was last week. We can fake 
the fuck all day. We can act like we're happy. We can act like we're enjoying this new, fresh relationship. We get a new hairstyle, new outfit, everything just new. Yes, Jesus. But you're still mourning what was. You can't really embrace what's new because you're still thinking about and mourning over what was. God had to end it. I don't know who that's for, but God had to end the thing, and he had to end it quickly. Some relationships, not even, uh, even some platonic relationships, not even intimate or romantic relationships, there's some relationships that God had to end in my life, and I had to be okay with. Because <laughs> you cannot put new wine in no wine skin. You can't go into a new place carrying some of the same old baggage. Just because you've been friends with somebody or you've been in a relationship with somebody for decades don't mean they're good for you. Just because it's long doesn't mean it was right. Just because y'all been together since middle school and y'all was middle school, elementary school, sweethearts, don't mean it's a good relation. It's not healthy. It's toxic. And God sometimes has to end toxic relationships. Ooh, Jesus. Sometimes God has to end what you think is a good thing. Lord, so if I had on dress shoes, I'd start dancing. Sometimes what you think is good, God says it really isn't. And I've got to end it because your perception of good is messed up. I got proof. The Bible says, can I give you proof? And I'm almost finished. The Bible says that there was a woman by the name of Ruth. Ruth was married to um, Naomi's son. They lived in the land. Naomi had a husband. His two sons had two, two wives. Ruth and the other girl, I forgot her name. But we're going to focus on Ruth. Amen. The Bible says that Naomi's husband died. Then all of a sudden, her two sons died, which meant that the, the, the three women were widows. None of them had husbands. Then Naomi says, let's move. We, we got to get out of this place, and we got to go somewhere else. They move. Ruth gets introduced to this man named Boaz. The Bible calls him her kinsman redeemer. And her husband died, and then she gets introduced to this man named Boaz. Oh, he was handsome. He was nice looking. Had his own land, own property. She moves into a new relationship. But before she moves into that new relationship, Naomi had to check her. She said, baby, get yourself together. She says, go wash your face. Go put on some new clothes. I was about to do a new thing to you. And you're still looking like you did yesterday. And that's even with our spirits. God can't move us into a new place because we're still carrying around the old spirit from what happened to us and what hurt us yesterday. God ended Ruth's relationship for whatever reason. Her husband died. God let that relationship in, and he was ready for her to move on. But you know what's something that when God's ready for us to move on, we're hesitant. We push back. Oh man, God's trying to move us into something like, no, nah, I ain't ready. <laughs> God's like, come on, I got something greater for you. Uh -uh, I'm good. I'm good right here. God had to end the thing that he can move you into what's next. Yeah, look at somebody and say, what's next for you? Look at somebody else and say, what's next for you? I don't know what God has in store for you, but I do know this, that what's to come is better than what's been. That what you experience, the glory of the latter house, the Bible says, shall be greater than the former. We get so excited about the good things that were last year. Man, Joe, God had to minister to me. I just turned 31. 
Oh, the Lord is so, so faithful. And, and I was just relishing over some things. And this is personal. I was, and I'm being so transparent. I was relishing over some things that God's done for me over the past 10 years. Because for me, life don't really count until you're 20. Like, if you're a teenager, middle, elementary school, some stuff didn't really matter. When you become an adult, that's when life matters. And God did some good things for me when I was like, when I was young. I said, Lord, can't get better than that. And I was so focused on the good stuff he did for me. And God had to check me and say, man, don't you realize that what's to come cannot even be compared to the, we get so stuck in what was good yeah. that we cannot receive the greater. Look at somebody and, and, and encourage them and say, greater is coming. Greater is coming. No matter how good that last thing was, Ruth, Ruth, no matter how good your last relationship was, your Boaz is coming. Woo! I felt that for somebody. I don't know what your Boaz is. It may be a real man. It may, it may be a new relationship. It may be a new job. But your Boaz is coming. Look at somebody and say, your Boaz is coming. After you suffered yet a while, the Lord says, then will I establish you, strengthen you, and make you whole. Your Boaz is coming. Jesus on the well talking to this woman, trying to convince her that those five jokers you've been with were now worth a hill of beans. There's something whew, that I'm getting ready to do in your life that we'll not even be able to compare with the temporary great experiences you've had with the mother jokers. Jesus said, I'm about to blow your mind. He says, the water that I want to give you shall be a well of, of, of living, living life coming out of you. People won't even be able to recognize you because of the new thing I'm getting ready to do in you. The fresh move I'm getting ready to make happen in your life. God had to end the old thing so he could introduce you to the new thing. Transition is never easy. Transition is always painful. Transition is always, especially quick transition. Because sometimes God don't always prepare you. Sometimes God don't always say, in two weeks I'm going to do this. Sometimes the Lord say, move now. He just, he'll just make you alert and aware in the moment. And he does not always prepare you. You just have to immediately move into what God's getting ready to do in your life. What's to come is better than what's been. What's to come is better than what's been. And this is how I know that what's to come is better. Because God's getting ready to fill you with something you've never been filled with before. Victor, here's the issue. Here's the issue. And for my single people, I'm going to give this to you. It's going to be free. I should charge for this advice. But I'm going to give this to you for free, Victor. Okay? For my single people, and the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that, that a single person can care for the things of the Lord, which makes it easier for them to dedicate and devote themselves to God's work. Because when you're married or in a relationship, your responsibilities are split between your house and your service to the Lord. So the Bible says it's better for a single person. Not that if you're married, you can't serve God. It's not what it's saying at all. It's saying that it's a little easier if you're single. But, 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 but why though? Because you've had time to get full of God. The Lord says, for some of you all, I'm going to give you an experience that he would give a single person. I'm getting ready to fill you with my spirit. See, for many of us in relationships, we've allowed ourselves to get full of other people. The Lord says, in this season, I'm ready to fill you with my spirit. 
In the last days, the Lord says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. He says, I will fill you to the point that you will begin to prophesy. The Lord says the reason there's been so much struggle in relationships and in life is because you're too full of the wrong things. You're not full of his spirit. The Lord says, I'm getting ready to fill you today. And when I fill you, it's going to shift the dynamics of your relationship.